right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here. You can listen to this podcast on RT.ie, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, or watch it all on YouTube where you'll find the timestamps for each episode in the description box. Lots to talk about uh, this week, including Stephen Kenny's Ireland playing Greece and Gibraltar, as well as reaction to the Sports Direct FAI Cup semi-finals. And I'm joined today by former Ireland international Keith Tracy and the 42.ie journalist David Snade, and hope you're uh, both keeping well. And um, before we get into the Ireland squad, I actually want to talk with somebody who's not in it, and which is uh, James McLean, and he's after confirming last week that. He'll be retiring from international duty after the New Zealand friendly in the statement, which you can read in full on RT.ie. He said it will be heartbreaking not to be involved beyond this year, but I feel now is the right time to step aside without any regrets. I lived my own and every young Irish footballer's dream and represented this country with pride. And um, I mean, Keith, you know, he, he's, he's at 102 caps um, at the moment and will presumably obviously get to at least 103 by getting the send off against New Zealand but have to say like he's been a huge servant uh, for this country yeah uh, an excellent player always gives a hundred percent it's it's the bare minimum of what you expect when you when somebody plays for Ireland and, and James it, it, it just oozes out on that he's a very proud Irish man and when you have somebody who, who turns up every week uh, you know whenever the international windows roll around and he's ready to run through brick walls he plays through the pain barrier and to become a centurion is not easily done these days. So, yeah, absolutely all credit to, to James McLean, an excellent player. I'm a little bit, I wouldn't say baffled, but I don't understand why he's not in this uh, in this um, camp myself, Raph, because I, I listened to Stephen Kenny when he when he uh, announced this squad and he said, you know, he's not in, but he will be in, for, in, in the next squad. So why not just have him in this one? Because he spoke about his training standards and bringing people up around him. So... For me, I, I'd have had him in this squad as well, not necessarily with the view of playing him and starting him at left back, but just to have his demeanour. And I think he's earned the right just to be in the squad and be in and around it. Like I say, not necessarily with the with the view of playing him, but with, with so many caps under his belt and how well he trains, you know, for me it would have been a no-brainer just to have him in the squad. Yeah, and I suppose David will be talking about him in more detail when it comes to November and in and around uh, that New Zealand game. But you know, you were just telling me off air there. He's one of those players that when you would have started your your you know um, sports journalism career, you've kind mm. of you've it's you've been in parallel with him in terms of how he's once once he's come through and then you know established himself and now become a veteran. And the one thing that always stands out about him, obviously, is his character. He's, he's very you know very strong willed and. You know that has that has come across extremely passionate about what he does on the pitch as well as uh, off the pitch, and uh, the other thing as well, I suppose, on the pitch as well. Um, he came through as a sort of old school winger at a time where they'd been starting to move to inverted wingers, and he's actually found a home then as a as a left wing back and thrived again in terms of his Ireland career. Well, that's it. It's like if you go back, like if you go back to when he when he kind of forced the marriage really at Sunderland, and he was just so exciting. Obviously, he was young. He'd being obviously involved with with, with Derry and stuff. But he had those couple of games where it was just one of them where, like similar to Keith, you know, capable of getting getting on the front foot and beating a man and getting players excited. And there was such a there was such a kind of um excitement around them from Ireland fans at that point. It's very it's interesting. It's like it always seems as if Irish football is in that kind of almost like an incessant need to have people like that who come in and just get you off your feet and provide something a bit different. And people forget when McLean before Euro 2012, he was that person, you know, and as his career has gone on, he's kind of shown, well, he wasn't just that kind of winger who would be a bit of a kind of flash in the pan, be exciting and then fade away. He's kind of shown what, what what's needed to obviously sustain a career that 
at, at various levels of become a Premier League player later in the championship. And now obviously he's gone to he's gone to Wrexham at a, at a point where obviously it just suits him to 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 do that. But it's like everyone knows about obviously about the stuff about regarding his kind of his views and and the stance he made with the poppy and he's kind of spoken even recently just coming up about maybe don't think he felt he was naive to do it because he knew what he was he was doing with his own stance and 100% correct to do so but maybe thinking it could lead to others maybe following suit and it's interesting because like we've written about this before and stuff and with players you speak to players on the record about James McLean so effusive in his like his praise for his personality and the, the commitment he has and as a, obviously as a bloke and as, as a player and then you speak to them off the record and they'll say but oh, hell I could not do what he did do you know what I mean like you speak to so many different players like players who play at the top level and what we've done and just just have been would be honest well to be honest say that they wouldn't do what, what he's done and he probably not probably you can be sure it's probably it has been to his detriment in terms of clothes maybe looking at him and perceiving him to be a certain person but any any teammate who's kind of walked with him and been alongside him he's a sort of character that you want with you you know and it's kind of stood even you see what happened with, with Wigan and the trouble they would have been in maybe the back end of last season when more senior players when, when they weren't getting paid he still was still kind of showing up he was still putting contract he was still playing when effectively they weren't getting even getting paid and He's just a, yeah. He it's one of those games where I suppose like the New Zealand one. Understand what what Keith's saying as well. Why why wouldn't he be in now? Maybe it's kind of thinking well, looking maybe to the I don't know. It's looking to the future. Maybe just could just be overlooked. But the game he'll he'll have his. I know he had that around a hundred caps. He he had that moment where he obviously was able to have his family there, and then this game will will be his send off. And it's very few. It very rarely happens in football where you where it, it can happen like that. But he was roared onto the pitch when he forced. Emerged against the Czech Republic before with the Trapatoni, and he'll be roared off the pitch now when, when people know it's finishing him. It's very rare that you get kind of happy endings in football like that, you know, be a, a club career or a, a or a, your international career. Sometimes you're pushed out the door maybe by someone and you don't get to say goodbye and all the rest of it. And obviously for McLean, he, it's going to work out well for him. Well, fortunately for him, he won't be at a major tournament, maybe that's happening. But to get to over 100 caps and to be able to actually go out on your own terms or something that not many players are able to do. So I'm sure that's something that you'll cherish, you know? Yeah, and obviously he'll be uh he'll be obviously proud of having represented Ireland at a couple of major tournaments. Uh Euro twenty twelve might be a little bit forgettable, but at least <laughs> at least there was uh Euro twenty sixteen which And also was... he said you forget you forget he was a trendsetter. He was the one going on Twitter years ago, like causing grief and having rails with managers and giving out about remember they coming off when he didn't get a game against Kazakhstan. So that's why you laugh when I always sometimes have a bit of a chuckle. I'll be honest, I like James McLean. I think he's a good fella to deal with. Like, you know what I mean? Like I've got a lot, a lot of time from but I always laugh or even we talk with young players. But he was one of the first to take the Twitter to be given out if he wasn't getting any games. So you know, he he did break the mold in that sense as well. He was at the cutting edge of the, the, the <laughs> uh, social media football storm. Yeah, the football or the social media revolution indeed. But uh, anyway, the uh the the game was against Greece and Gibraltar. So Greece Friday here at the Viva Stadium, 7.45 p.m. kickoff, and then on Monday the 16th, Gibraltar away again, same time, and both matches live on RT2 and the RT player with coverage starting on or starting at 7 p.m. on both days. And uh, the Ireland squad, of course, named 
Last week, John Egan missing out through injury. Callum Adowda and Seamus Coleman, we already knew, would be absent. Cuevin Kelleher got injured in training with Liverpool, so he's out as well. James McLean, as we said, is out. Jeff Hendrick also not included. And one of the players that is brought in is Liam Scales, who is likely to be competing at left wing back with Ryan Manning um, for that slot. And then Callum Robinson also back involved and Mikey Johnston returning from injury. But interestingly, no Troy Parrott as well. The other standout thing, I think we were talking about Sammy Smodix last week uh, in terms of his form for Blackburn and also Plymouth's Finazaz and all of them are left out. Andrew Moran as well uh, wasn't far away, according to uh, Stephen Kenny, and could still get called in for uh, ahead of the second game. But um, David, just on um, on you know in terms of the decision to bring in say Robinson over Smodix, and it's interesting um, just kind of looking at how Kenny was quoted, and this was from your colleague in the forty two, Gavin Cooney, um, when he's asked about Smodix, how very quickly he turns it from Smodix to talking about Andrew Moran. He is somewhat yeah. unfortunate not to be in this squad. Uh, began Kenny about Smodix before veering to Moore and the player that's caught my attention the most has been Andy Moore and he has been absolutely terrific in both Blackburn games uh, last week he was very close to being called up physically when you step up to international football as we found out with some of the young players physically it is a big jump um, so it, that is that is kind of interesting you know Smodix has been somebody who's been increasingly on the radar and yet Kenny's thinking is very much towards uh, Andrew Moore and who's going to stay with the 21s at least initially yeah, like that. That's kind of what managers do, isn't it? You know what's it called in the PR speak? You kind of gain control of the narrative, and you you kind of veer the conversation to where you want it. Because I remember happening before when when Andy Lyons was obviously in smashing form for Rovers, and there was a lot of talk. Well, would he be in with a shout coming in as one of the wing backs with the Ireland squad? And very quickly, fairness, Kenny kind of brought up himself. To be honest, if there was someone from Rovers who was going to get in, it was going to be Neil Farouge. You know, he's he can be up front in that regard in terms of of where he's thinking. Obviously, with Sammy Smodix, he was the, well. He was the one who was kind of unearthed a little bit as well by by Stephen Kenny, kind of in terms of getting everything, trying to put with the passport and making sure he was going to be eligible to play and was involved, wasn't he? He was kind of brought in, and was around it. So you're kind of thinking maybe it is a, maybe a bit of a surprise considering the form he's in, the fact he scored a goal, he scored again at the weekend, assisting how versatile he is. And then obviously you mentioned there like Gavin's piece in the with, on uh, on the forty two when he was kind of saying you know. Sometimes you brought it in about like players understanding exactly what's required of them in terms of how Ireland play and what's going to be demanded of them. Maybe Smodix hasn't been around enough where he wasn't going to play. So Newton Field, there's no point where there's someone like Caleb Robinson who previously has been so important and will just slot back in. And even speaking to players, just in terms of a character around the place is just a very positive influence and all the rest. And has shown before that he can deliver goals in the international level for Ireland and be a different kind of outlay, he's a different kind of player as well than than Smodix. But yeah, like I don't know, you can maybe look at it different ways. I suppose like Keith will have a far better kind of grasp on it in terms of how players would assess it. Would you be looking well, Jess, there's a player flying in the championship, scoring goals, not getting a sniff, but then showing maybe loyalty to someone who he knows can deliver and has got back into the form. And again, I think he actually scored as well recently, didn't he? So I don't know, a person probably look at it with both ways, but then the players who were in the squad are probably thinking, well, I'm there, and that's all that matters as well, you know? Yeah, and Keith, just on that, in terms of, you know, when there is sort of like a, a name that's a slightly exciting outside of the squad and they're either left out or they're kind of brought in, how do the, I suppose, the core players in the squad normally react to something like that? Yeah, I don't think it, it might come up in, in general conversation while you're having a bit of lunch in the hotel, but I don't think anybody really bothers over it. 
Andy Moore, one there's, there's absolutely no rush to get him into the team. You know, he's a, he's a young boy. He's still learning his trade. He's doing very, very well in the championship. There is games where he's turning up and playing very well. But there's also games where he's just drifting through and, you know, the large period of the game. So he's brilliant, looks really good, very promising. But that one word that you can associate with young wingers or young attacking players is consistency. And Andy Moore still needs to be more consistent in his performances. But for such a young man playing at such a high level already at Ewood Park, obviously coming from Brighton as well, he's from good stock. It looks like he's from really, really good stock. And it's very easy to get excited about him. And, yeah, like the, the, the Smodics one is, uh, is very, very interesting because if you're Smodics and you're listening to this, got all the names being brought let's see what the oil manager thinks of him. And he just dismisses you completely and starts thinking about Andy Moore and you're thinking, well, I know I mustn't be in his plans whatsoever because he didn't didn't really seem to want to engage with the, with the, with the Smodics question. But in terms of Robinson, decent player, we know what he does, can come off the wing and score a goal. But I'm sure if you're Smodics, you're thinking he's had his chance and I, I, I haven't been in yet. So he will be chomping at the bit to come in. But yeah, look, no, uh, no rush, but I think with no Coleman and no Egan would be a big miss for us on, uh, on Friday night. But I think Liam Scales will come in, whether it's, it's centre-half with three three centre-halves, one of the three centre-halves or a left wing-back. I'm not too sure, but if somebody playing in the Champions League tanking into this Irish team, then, you know, we, we, we have real problems. Yeah, and just... Uh, yeah, sorry, Dave, go on. I was going to say, Ralph, and I, I, I don't know even where, how, what Keith would say, think about this as well, or even going back, but you can't, even with the, with the morning thing, he's... Mate was captain for the 21s. He was really impressive uh, for the 21s down at Horner's Cross. Last month, like, the goal he scored and, and his play for winning the penalty. But like sometimes it's one of those things where, like I know obviously Irish players and where the Irish national team is, we're, we're crying out for maybe something a bit different. But like what you said there, sometimes, you know, you can get that call too. So, you know, sometimes a player needs to have something to actually feel as if they still have to walk towards maybe and they, they can get it and feel, oh, here, I made it now. I'm a senior international. What I'm doing, that's all I have to do. I can not float along because I'm sure he's working really hard and he's on loan and he's like Brighton thinks so highly of him. Like you speak to the staff at Brighton, there's re- there's a reason why he's gone to a championship club at Blackburn's level because they feel he's someone. But like you kind of wonder, well, you know, has he actually deserved a call up yet? Despite where Ireland are at, there's still a lot of other players who will be ahead of him and being around it. Sometimes like we talk about players getting too much too soon in terms of money and what can come with it, but even just recognition like that that can even maybe take the edge off a little bit, you know what I mean? Like, don't mean to insinuate that that's what would happen with him, but just in general where sometimes, you know, it's almost as if, well, getting to the Irish team isn't something that you should, you should. maybe it is, maybe it's, maybe it's just, maybe still maybe caught in the past a little bit thinking, but doing well in the championship for a few games, I don't think should qualify for straight away getting in with the Ireland squad. Maybe, like have that bit of a credit there, you know what I mean? To actually get to keep on working and to try and keep on improve, you know, and get that consistency and kind of that's how I would kind of think about it as well, you know. Yeah, I think it's a big sign of where we're at. Sorry, Raph. Yeah. I, I remember I, I was doing a bit of work with uh, Stephen Kelly uh, not so long ago, and I, I think it, it's either fifty Premier League appearances for sports before he got an Ireland cap, or I think it was fifty or seventy. Don't quote me on that, but Kells is telling oh, yeah, me. Oh, it's around that, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. When you think like Andy Moore and now, brilliant young player, only just blood in his teeth in the championship and everybody's throwing him in, throwing him in. You're thinking like it's just a sign of where we've gone is how strong we used to be to, to where we're at now. Look, it's just a lot, all the time in the world for Andy Moore. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not a rush to get him in there. And if the team was doing well and playing well, I would be more inclined to say, get him in, give him a taste of it. But in a struggling Irish team, you put him in there and he feels like this is deep water. You can get a bit of a slap on the wrist and think, 
I have a long way to go till I get there. So with a struggling Irish team, I'd say just leave him be for the minute. Yeah, it was actually interesting just on that. Even like he was brilliant against Turkey in the the first under twenty ones game, and then there was a bit of a, a drop down then against San Marino. Although it seemed to be the entire team kind of struggled a little bit, but maybe with the occasion and everything else and the expectation of going and hammering um, San Marino. So there is that kind of inconsistency when it comes to to young players. But um, in regard to Troy Parrott, Keith as well. I mean, he hasn't uh, he hasn't had a lot of minutes for Excelsior since moving there, and obviously he had an injury going over there um, in the first place. A couple of goals though, as we were talking talking about last week are you surprised he's not in or are you looking at it in terms of the game time where he's only been making kind of sub appearances that that was is probably the biggest factor yeah I think that's the biggest factor you know I always want to put myself into the player's shoes and thinking what what will Troy be thinking and he knows straight away if he picks up that phone and rings Stephen Kenny and asks why he's not in the squad he's going to be told it's because you haven't played enough minutes and yeah he scored the odd goal here and there but you know, it's again, it's a, it's another sign of the times. You know, when I was playing, players were 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 scared stiff to go to the you know deeper Europe because if you went there and didn't play well, you were forgotten about and you, you sort of filtered down the English leagues then. But with so much social media and all, everybody knows exactly how Troy Parrott is playing. So it's not a big you, not as big as a move as it was. But Troy does be seen to be getting left behind. He showed so much early promise, and you know it. it Fairly similar to Aaron Connolly. Aaron Connolly came in, did really well, set the world on fire, and we expected so much of him. Troy was sort of in the same vein where he done really well, and we're thinking, right, well, what, what are we going to get from him in an Ireland short? And it's just started to become a little bit tough for him now. He's going to have to double down and really, you know, grab the ball by the horns because he, he's, his career is at a crossroads now. Same way Aaron Connolly's was. Aaron Connolly's scoring goals at whole. He seems to have turned it around, but. I always say, you know, it takes a minute to get your reputation and a low point to lose. Ireland's doing very well, but he has to do more. He has to be more consistent, more consistent. Troy needs to get the injury while he's behind him, get a lot of minutes under the belt, start playing regularly, start scoring some goals, start assisting, and then he can knock down Stephen Kenny's door and say, I should be in this team because it's a struggling Irish team. And any time, if you're a senior player playing in a, in a, Premier, a Premier League anywhere across Europe, you have a chance of getting into this Irish team and Troy, Troy falls into that bracket. So if he can get more minutes and play uh, a hand in assists and goals, then by all means, he will get himself back into that Irish team. But at the minute, it's too easy for Stephen Kenny just to say you haven't played enough minutes. And at right wing back, uh, David, in terms of uh, Matt Doherty, so he's been he's not been um you know starting all that often for for Wolves this season. He came on at halftime uh, yesterday against Aston Villa and then... Uh, Fessia Vasselli is at the very, very start of his international career. Obviously, got the couple of caps in the September window, but he seems to be starting regularly in Italy now um, for for Udinese and seems to be um, thriving. It seems from the, the reports we we get of how he's performing. Uh, so th- this window probably, I'm, I imagine Doherty's experience will win out, but there it seems there's a tipping point soon. Obviously, Seamus Coleman is still in the background and will come back at some point. Yeah, see, this is going to be another interesting one because just in the point of, you know, it comes back to where maybe sometimes managers can pick and choose reasons. Like, obviously, Keith was saying there about, say, Troy, maybe part of possibly not playing enough minutes, which is right, but it happened in the last game when Norman played uh, the Netherlands when, like, obviously, uh, Matt Doherty, you barely keep the ball for Wolves in the previous, but then he plays the game, and you know, and just a couple of times he's, he looks a bit sloppy in the game. You go back to that mistake; he he, it was his mistake, just where error of judgment with the with the crossfield pass from Van Dijk, where he kind of he does really well to read it, but then plays to put the ball back inside the Dutch break, and then you get the penalty. Um, like if Ireland play, this is the other aspect to it. Will Ireland stick with the three at the back, and like John Egan 
is going to be out. Obviously, Omar Medelli again hasn't really hasn't not been playing. Yeah, hasn't really been playing as well. Like like scales will come in. Like will they? Will he revert? Like Dara O'Shea is kind of been in and out. So maybe look at it and what what's happened at Burnley as well. Um, too, and obviously Shane Duffy, he's obviously maintained his place with with Norwich. Will he be that that focal point again? But again, we kind of saw as much as that. We kind of saw some of the kind of when you're trying to change things and how we want to play. It's you're gonna have the same issues when when Shane Duffy is the, is in the middle. Like he has that experience, which I think is gonna be vital, and which I think he will play. So you're kind of looking at it from the point of view of wing backs. If he plays with the, with the tree, will there be wing backs like Ebesele? And he's spoken before, he doesn't actually really see him as that position. He sees him more as an attacker and more as a forward. The guy would be very, very surprised considering Matt Doherty has come off the bench in the last few games for Wolves and has played more football coming into this window if he's not going to be starting uh, on the right side. Um, so, but then there may be that issue to contend with in terms of, well, do you, do you change this? Do you change the system then a little bit? Um, like, like I mentioned it there, would we actually see Aaron Connolly? Like we were telling there, but we'd actually see Ferguson as that focal point, Connolly at one side, not Ben the other. I don't know if we'll see all those three fellas on the pitch at the same time. Do you know that's my own instinct? I, know, I was just I was just curious there because I was, just, I was just going back and I was trying to to remember. But like if you go back to the game against Greece, obviously it was Adam Eden who started with and and Ferguson started. So Benny wasn't, Benny wasn't there, and see Smallbone was in the mix in that game. He was and he's still playing for Southampton. So like. It's kind of a strange one in the sense, and it's kind of like a little bit of a microcosm of where we've been at with, with Kenny, where you can't say for certain, well, these are the personnel who are available. They're the ones who have always kind of been trusted in these big moments because there's always been that little sense of, of appeal continuously, you know? So, and that's where we're still at. And like elephant in the room here, depending on what, like, I really need to win these games, but even like Stephen Kenny's future is still, it's very, very delicate. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, we had the press conference last month when after with with director of football Mark Canneman with the CEO Jonathan Hill where he had to confirm yeah Stephen Kenny will still be in charge because you're getting whispers from people and you're hearing stuff well actually decisions we made will or will have to qualify but like the chances of Ireland qualifying now are very very slim even through even getting into a playoff so that's the elephant in the room here as well a little bit is like it's not as if you can be going in here saying well pick this player because they'll be available for the next campaign. At the stage, look, we've always been for the last few months where it needs to get results first and foremost. Yeah, and uh, with that in mind, Keith, I mean, is there is there a chance, like even uh, mentioned there, a slight change in formation? So maybe against Gibraltar, he did change it at halftime in the in the home game back in June, and maybe uh, he might go four three three from the start when they play them again on Monday. But even against Greece, we saw the left side of the defence in Athens was the weak point um, where essentially both of the goals that Greece scored, um, A, the penalty, uh, the, the handball for the penalty came from that side and then the Georges uh, Masuras goal as well came from that side as well. So with, let's say if they play um, the the back five that they have been, are you playing Liam Scales on the left side of the tree or are you putting them in as a sort of more defensive uh, player as a, as a wing back or do you go to a back four and he plays either left sided centre half or um, as a defensive minded sort of left back yeah I, I, I think he will stick I think Stephen Kenny will stick I think you play the three centre halves and two wing backs I think Matt Doherty will play as a right wing back just because needs must you know it's not that we don't have other players that can play in that position I just think Matt is very good going forward and he's a great out there for us 
so he will play. Um, I think Duffy, Collins and Scales for me would be the, the three. I would play Duffy as the, the middle of the three and I would put Scales and Collins either side of them. So any balls down the side of our wing-backs, we've legs there. Duffy, obviously, any balls into the box because Greece do put some decent balls into the box. I would have Duffy there to get his head on it. And look, the left side, we were a little bit weak against Greece, but I don't think you can just highlight the, the left side of the pitch rap. I think the opening 10, 15 minutes of that game, we were absolutely awful. And again, we go back to the, the camp they had in Turkey, 10 days in Turkey before the Greek game. And they looked like an absolute you know, bunch of strangers out there. We, we should have conceded a penalty. I think we conceded eight corners. So there's just so many things you can't do in international football away from home. You know, it was the total opposite. You have to keep the ball. You at least turn them. You don't try and keep playing in front of them and inviting pressure and inviting pressure, letting the crowd get on top of us. But yeah, to, to, to answer your question, personally, I think he's going to go with 5 2 3. I think he'll play uh, the three centre halves. I'm not sure he'll play left back. Maybe Ryan Manning, because when he did, he was speaking about the left side and James McLean and he kept bringing Ryan Manning's name up and Ryan's playing well. And Ryan's been playing well last season as well, played really, really well and couldn't get into the Irish game. So, I think maybe Manning, even though he didn't play very well against the Dutch or, or, or the French, and even Alan Brown, if Alan Brown was to get a shout in, in, in the middle of the pitch or even at left back, I think Alan Brown is a great engine, can always nick it a goal from a set piece as well. So I would like to shoehorn Alan Brown in there somewhere, but I'm just not sure where. So it, it's it's very, very hard to second guess Stephen Kenny, but I think it would be some sort of version of a, a 5 2 3. Yeah, um, we'll see about Brown as well. So I think he came off at half time for Preston as well um, on Saturday. I think he was a bit ill, but hopefully it's uh, something that kind of alleviates himself anyway, because he, he is in the squad anyway. But anyway, those those games against Greece and Gibraltar. So Greece, it's Friday, um, 7 p.m. Uh, coverage starts on RT2 and RT Player. And then Monday would be Gibraltar. And uh, before we turn our attentions to uh, more domestic matters, uh, David, I mean, there is the um whether if we don't if we don't get to euro uh or 2024 next uh next summer there is potentially euro 2028 however we're not sure if we're going to be uh if we're going to be able to qualify automatically for it as one of the five co-hosts obviously that hasn't been decided yet so what happened of course is ireland and the uk is set to be euro 2028 hosts unopposed because turkey have withdrawn are going to join up with italy for 2032 and dublin is expected to host six of those games four in the group stage and and one of the last 16 and won the quarterfinal and also a redeveloped Caseman Park would have five games as well. And the FAI have been um, in their submission uh, to UEFA as part of this. Uh, they've been mentioning the uh, socio-economic benefit to this country of staging the tournament, which would be an estimated 241 million euro. But again, there's a little bit of uncertainty around it, uh, David, in terms of the, you know, in terms of the potential to qualify automatically as hosts given the number of co-hosts that there would be but also yeah. at the same time I think we need to also be kind of mindful of what the legacy will be even though we're not we're nowhere near that yet well now well if you're being facetious the legacy will be all the inspired children of Ireland Raph. <laughs> you'll see uh this this on their doorstep when some of them was still getting changed in shipping containers that were there in the 1990s you know um I like I don't know I kind of Maybe I don't know. I just I, when this was when this was obviously even the initial bid when because this has obviously been known for for a good while and obviously last week when it was confirmed obviously about about, about Turkey and it was realised that yeah Ireland were, were definitely going to be involved in this. Like it just kind of strikes me. I, I think I, I did this when I was on did a uh, game on last week and I was just chatting about it there where 
and I could be totally wrong and I could be out I could be out of order, but I just feel as if it's the sort of thing that looks good for certain people's CVs in terms of at the top of the association what they can point to it and say, well, we were able to deliver X, Y, and Z. But for me, looking at it from, from where well, what what should what the people in the FEO should be kind of prioritizing is the grassroots game and obviously the League of Ireland and everything that goes with that. Now, if they say, well, the legacy, this is where they have to be, they can talk about legacy and they can say all that and say those benefits. But then that needs to actually be properly kind of sustained. So we'll talk to us, what, what do you plan? If they say, well, do you know what? This is the reason why we've gone big on hosting this association of the, these, uh, this tournament is because it means over the next 10 years, it's going to be able to provide X amount of money that we can invest in Irish football. If that's not laid out, then how can you be anything other than skeptical skeptical about the actual benefits of this? Like at the moment, one of the benefits is another association in a different jurisdiction in a ground where no Irish kid who plays soccer is going to benefit. It's hated, you know what I mean? Like how does that benefit Irish football? But as I'm saying, if we're talking about legacy, that has to be backed up and it has to be properly, has, there has to be something tangible there. It has to be, and it has to be something that they can say, well, this is what the actual plan is. Do you know what I mean? Then you can say, well, all right, that's fair enough. Then you have to go and deliver on it. It's, it can, it's, uh, there's been column inches written about this and it's been already said to death and it's been done even, even, even in the past. There can be so much just nonsense and wishy-washy kind of PR speak about all this. But unless you actually deliver on the ground where and what Irish football needs, in another 20 years, you'd be thinking, well, what was the point? Do you know what I mean? Like we can talk, we've mentioned that, that press conference earlier about from Jonathan Hill and Mark Cannon. Obviously, at that point, they still didn't know, well, actually, who was going to qualify. It does seem as if maybe at least two places will be held for nations who, who are hosting if you don't qualify automatically. And he, Jonathan Hill was insisting that all, all the countries involved in this bid need to be uh, actually part of the qualification process and not qualifying automatically. So that, just for the fairness and stuff. But I don't know, like we, we kind of started this podcast talking about James McLean and, and like that was over a decade ago when he made his made his debut and it's just, there's so many of the same problems and the same issues and the same stuff that we're talking about then that journalists and stuff we're talking about 10 years before that and my fear is that even if Ireland qualified in 10, 15, 20 years after, there'll be the same debate saying, well, what's actually happening on the ground with Irish football? That's yeah. my own assessment of where we're at, to be honest. Yeah, because of course it has to be has to be the grassroots, and uh, in terms of investment there, um, otherwise nothing really changes. You get a you get a you get a major tournament here, and yeah, great. But even uh, more so, yeah. but even sorry, but even more so now. Never where there's so much demands now on players on coach to make sure that actual players coming can be taught properly because of what's happened with Brexit. We're talking about having this industry of football and stuff and all the rest of it, but like kids need to be desired to actually have the proper infrastructure in place, whether it's, and I'm talking about that from League of Ireland clubs who still, a lot of them still are doing their best, but they're doing their best with volunteers who haven't got full-time staff, academy members, do you know what I mean? And all the will in the world, like, you're going to have an element of burnout and trauma with that because that can only be sustained for so long. Then you're relying on the next group of people, but then that next group of people coming in who've been well-educated and spent money on getting the all, all the qualifications, if they're getting treated the same as what's happened before, They'll be lost to different systems, or they'll just pack in, like themselves. You know, like I don't know. It's just they're still on it. You, I find it personally, and I'm not even involved in terms of that. And with regards to coaching side of it, and all, I know Keith will be, but in terms of League of Ireland and seeing it, there must be a huge sense of frustration. Like I remember even going back a few years ago, actually after Luxembourg beat Ireland, and they own an article just looking at where the academy structures were at and, and stuff. And Liam Kearney, who obviously down in Cork. 
doing great work. But he was even saying back then, like, people need to be treated with respect where the work they're putting in feel as if they're actually valued because he was saying that they do work to a certain degree down there, but then they can't offer them anything sustain. They can't offer them anything kind of substantial to actually make it their living. So how can you expect people to be giving up their time to produce players who are then going to go on and make that job their living? Do you know what I mean? You're still relying on the volunteers and you're going to get left behind. You already see it happening. Yeah. And, uh, of course, uh, we'll find out in terms of details with confirmation first by UEFA about the uh, tournament itself and then the structures in terms of qualification in the long run. Uh, at the same time, there's going to be another multi-nation uh, tournament coming in 2030 with uh, a proposal of six hosts, so Spain, Portugal and Morocco being the core ones for the 2030 World Cup and then opening games that are going to be uh, in, in Argentina, Uruguay and Paraguay, obviously, to mark the centenary of the first World Cup back in 1930, which was hosted by Uruguay. Argentina reached the final at that time, and then Paraguay are the traditional home of the South American Football Confederation. But anyway, we'll uh, move on very quickly. Uh, also, in other news, Island Gleeson uh, to remain in charge for the Nations League campaign for the Irish women's as well, and they play Albania home and away, respectively, on the 27th and the 31st of this month. And then the women's Premier Division uh, Athlone Town beat DLR Waves 1-0 on Saturday. Bowes and Wexford drew two all. Sligo Rovers and Cork City um, also involved in the thriller. So that's uh, three all in that game. P-Mount beat Treaty United uh, 2-1. And then Shamrock Rovers won a Dublin derby against Shelburne by three goals to one. So P-Mount, again, cementing their place at the top of the table. Nine points clear of Shamrock Rovers, who are also level on points with Shells. And then Galway eight points further back and then they're all going to be turning their uh, attention to the cup semi-finals which are going to be this Saturday at four o'clock kickoff between Shamrock Rovers and Shelburne and then Sligo Rovers against Athlone at six o'clock and speaking of cups the men's FAI Cup uh, semi-finals also took place and we know who's going to be playing each other in the Viva Stadium on the 12th of November it's going to be Pats against Bowes a repeat of the 2021 final so Pats yesterday went to Turner's Cross and beat Cork City 2-0 to reach the final and then the day before that Bohemians beat Galway United 1-0 away and they were down to 10 men of course uh, for that as well so let's start on that game let's listen first to Declan Devine who was speaking afterwards and he was uh, very passionate and even beyond being delighted with Bowes uh, getting to the final he was all, he also reserved quite a lot of praise for Galway United Declan McDade you just said to me you felt like you played the 90 minutes yourself out there that was blood and thunder stuff out there with the, I don't know many yellow cards red cards Crazy game. game, crazy game, crazy game. But look, before we even go on about our lads, I think coming here today, having all the way back in the Premier League, with attendances like this, a management team and a team like that benefits the whole Irish football. And full credit to Galway United, they deserve massive credit for what they've done this year. And getting to the semi-final, I'm really putting it up to us, because we're a good side, and Galway really put it up to us. And I think they come out of it as winners as well, so full credit to John and his team. But our boys... Magnificent, magnificent. They go down to 10 men and the, the cards were just flashing like mad. It was stupid, it was crazy. It was, it was maybe two bad tackles in the game. No players are missing cup finals and all the rest. It's, it's madness. But delighted for the club. Delighted for every one of the players that have, have bought on to what we're trying to do this year. It's a new group of players. Real new group of players. Brought on 14, 15 players to start a year. And the... It, the work rate that they put on the the, the, the the one tonight was second, you know. Only 10 men, balls coming on the box, delighted one. 
Yeah. There's one thing about the game, though, is you bust it well when you have the 10 men. I think even with 10 men, we still have two or three chances. Clarkie is one who puts over the bar. I think just after half-time, John Afalabi has a chance. But look, in the Cup, it's all about, it's all about getting through. We scored a goal a good time just before half-time. Spoke about knocking down the 10 men. It happened, and to be fair, each and every one of them. The players are magnificent at this club. They keep coming back for more. And the relationship they have with the fans is someone else, so delighted. And overall, uh, Cork or Pats tomorrow, who do you think? I'll be down there tomorrow. It's, listen, we, we, we still got both of them to play in the league. Um, but you don't want to just get to the final. You want to make sure you come away with a trophy at the end of it. So we'll enjoy it tonight. I'll be in Cork tomorrow. And whoever it may be, it may be. All right, so that is Bohemian's manager, uh, Declan Devine, speaking to John Kenny, and hopefully he did get, get a chance to catch his breath, Keith, afterwards, because it was a frantic game. I think about a dozen yellow cards, and we'll talk about the red card later on, but Bose really had to fight for that. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great game. It wasn't, you know, the prettiest game in the OID. It wasn't the best game of football, but very, very entertaining. Uh, I would back up what Declan Devine is saying about the referee. I think there was maybe one or two strong tackles in the game, but they weren't, you know, silly, ridiculous, out-of-control tackles. And the referee flashed the yellow card straight away, and then he just he couldn't stop. He made a rod for his own back, and every challenge then seemed to be a yellow card. It was, uh, it was, it was stupid stuff, you know. He, he, the referee was very, very experienced. There was no need for him to go down that route. And like I say, I think he made a, a rod for his own back. But what, what I did like every now and then, Galway was putting the tackle, but Bowles wouldn't just stand there and give out. They would fly into the next tackle, and it was a real team backing each other open. Look at what Declan Devine is saying is right. Galway put a lot of balls into the box. Some of the second balls just didn't drop them, and even when they did, Bowles managed to get bodies in the way. And it was a real. I I've seen Bowles in Inchicore this season. The front three really really good. Afalab and Q, uh, McDonald, they're all really really good players. Can he get down and do the nitty gritty when balls are coming into the box? Will he put bodies on the line? Will he defend like their like the lawyers depended on it? And he did. They were really, really good in the defensive mindset. So excellent from Bowers. Uh, it sets up a huge final. You know, some some of the, the Galway players was a little bit disappointed with David Horry, but uh, you know, it's, it's tough to say that because it wasn't a great footballing game. I don't think anybody stood out as having a great footballing game. Apple had two one on ones. He would probably like to have done better with hit the post and I think Clarkie saved him. So, yeah, great game. A really good game. Very, very interesting game. Physical game. And, yes, delighted to see Galway uh, back in the Premier League. And I think they will, uh, I think they'll absolutely be fine next season. I was speaking to Lisa Fallon after the game down in Galway and she was reinforcing that she thinks Galway will be absolutely fine next season as well. So, yes, great to have a, another club from outside Dublin, a huge club from outside Dublin back in the, back in the Premier League. Yeah, and just on the just going back to the red the, the red card for Redkowski because I know talking off, talking off air, you know there was uh you know the 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 second yellow is harsh and but yet you'd seen a couple of incidents involving the same player before where there, he wasn't uh, he wasn't actually penalised for it. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Uh, the, the first the first couple of minutes of Washeria and Rakowski, uh, there's a ball over the top. A Washeria pins Rakowski, spins him, and Rakowski goes to the ground, and the referee gives a free out. And gives a washerie a talking to him, thinking that looked like a foul the opposite way to me, but whatever, you know, did six one, half a dozen of the other. Then it happens again a couple of minutes later, and the referee gives a free kick to a washerie and yellow card for Rakowski. You're thinking that's that's very, very similar, and you get two totally different outcomes there. And then it happens again. And I, I real I, I do have sympathy with Rakowski because the ball that's coming into a washerie, 
it's not going straight down the goal line. It's going away from goal. It's going in the, in the diag. So even if a washeria was to spin with Helsman and get onto the ball, it's going away from goal and there is covering defenders. So to give him a second yellow card, knowing that there's a red card is going to be the consequence of it, I thought, again, was really, really poor refereeing. And the standalone incidents, yes, he can say that's a yellow card for me and nobody would, would argue with that. But the fact that it happened three times in the game and he'd already get two different outcomes, I thought, you know, you can give him a, a stern warning and tell him, this thing's happened, you're walking a tightrope. To give him no real warnings and give him the, the second yellow card at the at the, the quickest possible outcome, I thought was was harsh, very, very harsh. But again, Bowles, you, you need to keep a lot of credit on the Bowles because Galway started the ramp up. They put more and more balls into the box. Conor McCormick straight at, straight right at the edge of the box when he had a free kick, hits the wall, it comes out, it's a yard or so wide. There was a lot of nearly moments from Galway, but like I said, Bowles defended really, really well and massive credit to both teams. Like I said, it wasn't it wasn't the prettiest game on the Oirat, but very entertaining. Yeah, and of course, Pat's joining him, joining them in the final on the 12th of November. So let's listen to Pat's manager, John Daly, and then also his Cork City counterpart, Richie Holland. John, congratulations into a cup final. How are you after that performance? Thanks very much. Um, obviously, it's uh, the second goal obviously makes it that little bit less stressful towards the end. I think as long as it's 1-0, they're always in the game and you're hanging on and defending. I thought the lads defended magnificently um, and then an unbelievable strike from Connor to, to seal it and, and just probably deflate Cork right at the end. And as you can hear in the background, delighted for the fans and um, everyone connected with the club, the players, the staff. Um, it's a great, great day for us and we've had to do it the hard way, you know, travelling all over the country to get ourselves to a final. So we're looking forward to it. He loved to see players take their chance when they come on as a substitute. Connor, now of course, probably give you a headache for selection another day. Yeah, well, we've got plenty of football between now, now and the cup final. So, um, you know, Connor, Connor done really well when he came on. Tommy done well for the first 60 minutes or so. He, he worked hard, worked tirelessly. So, and Jay McClellan coming on and, and getting a strike. You know, I spoke to him before he came on. Said, make sure he gets shots. He's got a great left foot and obviously too hot for the hand or to keep it handle. And, and Connor was un- unbelievable to finish it. You mentioned there's plenty more football to play, but bodies are tired out there, people are going down with cramps, so it's hard to get them back into the swing of things again now. Yeah, I think there's a couple as well struggling with illness. We had Adam Murphy struggling with illness overnight, and that's why he, he didn't play. He was obviously sat on the bench. Chris Forrester's got a sore throat as well, and um, you know the international break coming now gives them time to rest and recuperate and go again. I think it just gives you something to look forward to. You know, Credit to Cork as well, fantastic football club, I have to say. You know, Coming down here, packed out Turner's Cross, they made it difficult, um, you know, and I, I wish them all the best. I'd like to see them staying up. I think it's a fantastic club to have in the top division. Well, well done and congratulations. Thank you. Thanks very much. Richie, commiserations. They got the early lead. You chased it, unfortunately, punished you again in the second half. Yeah, just a few moments in the game really that it cost us, you know, and it's come from basic errors from, from throwings. Um, yeah, look, when you give good good players opportunities, they're going to they're gonna punish you. And that's what Pats have done today. I think overall there wasn't much in the game and stuff like that. We've created more than enough today to score score and we haven't we haven't we haven't um we haven't done it. So it's uh, it's disappointing that way, you know. I thought in fairness to the lads they they worked hard all all the way through the game, you know, they've showed good application and it was just that final bit that caught us today, you know. Bodies, I mean, it was really energetic in the first half from your side and they created numerous chances, but bodies just seemed to fade away and get tired in the second half. Yeah, there was a little bit of um, a lull in the middle of the second half and that's why I made the changes. I just wanted to re-energise things again, you know, and 
I just needed to get the shed involved in the game as well a little bit, like you know, and just felt that when we had a corner in the second phase, we might have been just a little bit better with, with keeping the ball alive and stuff out, but uh, it didn't happen, you know. So, uh, yeah, look, fair play to Pats. They've come, they've defended well today and defended the box well and stuff out. And look, as I say, they've taken their chances and uh, good luck to them in the final. Are you happy with some impacts, some um, efforts of performance today? Oh yeah, look, the application is there. I thought we again we created enough opportunities today. Again, you know, um, we've had a couple of headers in the first half, a few shots at the edge of the box, maybe that we could have taken a bit earlier, so on. And we look, we we did create we did create enough today to to, to, to to score. But it look it's disappointing that we've we've come away. And I think it's one that we've left behind us. And you need to now pick the heads back up and go again. Yeah, look, I've just spoke to the players inside. Is that we just need to use this disappointment as a motivator going forward because. Coxley needs to stay in this league. You see it today, fans, the crowd, uh, the atmosphere here. You know, this is this one of the biggest clubs in the country. You know, and we 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 can't go down. You know, and we we need to work hard every day you now for the rest of the season and and put on a performance when when we do come to the big games at the end of the season. You know, congratulations, thanks, thanks a million, cheers. All right, so that is Richie Holland there, and before that, John Daly both speaking to Valerie Wheeler after game at Turner's Cross. And David, this was a um, you know this was a game where it was clear you could see Pat's quality when it really mattered, and Cork mm. City didn't actually you know they performed quite well actually overall in terms of chances created, but maybe huffed and puffed a little bit. Yeah, it kind of just shows you why Pat's are at the top end of the table or trying to get into Europe and why Cork are obviously going to be in the relegation playoff because. Cork put up to them, had a couple of opportunities, like Rudy Keaton's had a great season, goal scoring wise, but the couple of chances maybe he had, I'm probably thinking more so the header, that's probably the best, the best chance he has, and it just goes it goes a bit wide, whereas Pats, when they had that opportunity, they just they were able to punish them, you know, and even like Mark Doyle, he kind of like he probably come under a bit having a bit of criticism from a, from some Pats fans for maybe that end product and moments where maybe he doesn't deliver, but then can get into that box and be that danger of coming in from that side and getting on the end of the cross and then the goal like the impact that's probably even just looking ahead now even to the final if you're looking at it in terms of the bench like you look at some of the finals how they've been over the last little while and how tense they can be like if if Pat's can have that kind of impact off the bench obviously with McClellan and obviously Conor Carty the way he took his goal was just, was just really impressive you know um, like the, having that having those that kind of that variation is going to be critical to like get proved it in the game like there were probably two best moments of quality in the pitch. Like in the first half, Patton and Budge on really well and was really impressive for, for Cork in midfield. But just those moments in the semi-final when they had they had got the crowd behind them and they weren't on top and they just couldn't get back into the game. And then as the, the moral went on, as I said, Pats were able to just take the game away from them by bringing on that bit of quality from the bench and actually having that impact. And that's what that's what going to be needed as well in the final as well obviously is those those bits of quality in the box you've kind of seen it with if you've gone back into the Bowers game with, with Conley having that determination to see the, the chance emerging when Afalabi done really well to kind of create a chance out with nothing and then have that burst to get in and that's what why it shapes up to, the, to be such a great game in the final it's because it's two teams now who you just couldn't call it you, re- you really couldn't and it's going to be a, it's going to be a smashing game and Hopefully, and you would like to think we'll break the forty thousand uh, barrier in the Aviva. Yeah, and Pat, um, in terms of Keith, in terms of the the final, then with Pats and Bowes now, obviously it's two years on from when they the last met. But from what you saw yesterday, what and what you saw Bowes, and obviously there's a month, there'll be a month to go, and plenty could change in between in terms of injuries elsewhere. But um, how do you feel they they match up uh, this time? I, I don't think there's an awful lot between them, Raf. Uh, either way, I think. As David said there, I think the, 
you know, you wouldn't be surprised if Pats were to win. You definitely wouldn't be surprised if Bowers were to win. I think, on a, you know, I, I hate saying this about finals, but it, it really will be who handles the occasion that little bit better, who keeps their discipline and who does the ugly stuff. And, you know, I, I hate, more than likely, I have a feeling this, this uh, final will be decided by a set piece. For all the beautiful footballers that are going to be on the pitch, the Keith Buckley, Chris Forrest, for all these boys, McManus, I love watching him for bowls as well. I just had a feeling they're going to cancel each other out. It would be a brilliant game and decided by a set piece. So, look, Bowles obviously defend, defended the set pieces really well against uh, against Galway on the weekend. So, look at the, the one thing for me, Mark Doyle, I, I have to highlight Mark Doyle. They obviously, they played, Pat's played Cork last week. And Pats win the game one 0 It's a Mark Doyle header at the back post, brilliant header. Just sort of ghosts in inside the right back. It's the timing of the run. As soon as the right back has a look to see where he is, he's already on the move inside him. And he, he wins that header. It's brilliant, and he does it again um, on, Saturday, on Sunday for the in the semi final for his for his second goal. It was really really nice. The timing and the movement in behind is excellent. And it was one thing that it was Sam Allardyce used to always shout me and shout me about being a winger. He used to shout Pomo, Pomo, Pomo. And it was the, the position of maximum opportunity. And whenever the opposite winger is crossing the ball, you have to get yourself inside the post. Because that, to me, he used to say that will get you between five and ten goals a season as a winger. Just getting yourself into that Pomo position. And Mark Doyle does it really, really well. And if you watch him, he will do it ten times out of ten. He will make that run. And maybe twice, three times the ball will finish. will stop to him and he will end up hitting the back of the net. So... Really, really good for Mark Doyle, but in terms of the, the final lap, I really, really can't call it. Could, could even go all the way penalties. I don't think there's an awful lot between the two, the two sets of games. Yeah, they do tend to go all the way to penalties, but apart from last season, of course, which was uh, a bit more uh, comfortable from Derry City's point of view. But while a month might be uh, a long time uh, to wait in football, half an hour is uh, is an eternity mm-hmm. as well. And David, mm-hmm. I mean, this is the these this is the joys of journalism. As we were talking there about the cup, uh, it was confirmed that Sam Smodix, who was the subject of what we were talking about earlier, has now yeah, the new savior. The new savior has arrived. <laughs> all as well. Yeah. Yeah, he's been called in. Aaron Connolly is injured. So um, you can listen to everything that we've said previously anyway. It's all valid. But uh, of course, uh, this is uh, this is obviously, look, yeah. Smodix must have been close to the squad anyway um, in terms of selection. And it's proven by this. Yeah, and also ties in what he said, kind of maybe shows as well how far further down Troy Party is in the pecking order too. You can kind of take, take that element from it. Um, it's an, again, it's an interesting one. Like, we kind of said at the start, you've got a fellow coming into a squad who you would imagine has probably never been as confident in his career in terms of where he's at. That can only be a good thing. And now the job for the manager is to try and harness that. Do you know, kind of, does he see him? Will he see enough in training over? Because the players are obviously going to be joining up uh, between now and later on this evening. There's media tomorrow. There's going to be a handful of players speaking to, uh, tomorrow. Uh, then obviously the game at the end of the week. So, like... He has a chance now to come in. Like he's never got, as I was saying, he's he's never been as confident in his. I can imagine in his career in terms of where he's where he's um doing the business at, at the level he's at. So, uh, you would like to think it can only be a good thing for Ireland that you've got a player coming in who is in such good form. It's not as if it's a fella coming out 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 of the cold is not getting a sniff, isn't doing that, and you're like you just you just need bodies in the door. Like it's a fella who's flying at, at a really good level in the championship. Yeah, and Keith, just in terms of selection then for for Greece, because of course Smodix has been in the camp before a couple of years ago, um, during the the camp in Spain ahead of the Andorra and Hungary games. 
hasn't actually been capped yet. Is he more of a potential impact sub late on? Obviously, a start might seem a little bit uh, maybe premature, given he hasn't really been part of the picture in recent times. Yeah, I, I would I would struggle to see him starting. Um, Raph, I, I think he's out of all the when you think of the forward players we have, I I, I do think Stephen Kenny will stick the three up front. At times it will be one up front, but we be joined by the two wingers. I think the one that's going to be left, and I think we could all agree, is going to be Evan Ferguson when he's fit. He's going to be up there. So Smodix, I think, would be in direct competition with Ferguson, and I don't think Kenny will play two out and every striker. So that, to me, would say Smodix would be a replacement for Ferguson. Will he play him on the wing? I, I'm really not too sure. I think with the likes of Benny, Albertini, all these quicker boys that can get up the pitch and get close to Evan Ferguson, you want them. Smodix is a brilliant finisher, playing really well in the championship. It's just a shame for us that he's in direct comparison or direct rivalry with Evan Ferguson. And, you know, if, if he wouldn't play the two of them, I think it'd be very, very brave. But given what the what the Greeks did to us in the fourth game, how well they kept the ball, how quickly they uh, they caused the problems, I would imagine that we won't play two of them, that it will just be Evan Ferguson and two wingers trying to get as close to them as possible. So for me, I think Smodic's brilliant to see him in, but I think we might just, uh, we might see a couple of minutes of him at best, if I'm honest. Yeah, and hopefully that's the last of the squad updates while we're uh, on air as well. <laughs> and saves me the bother of uh, having to, to keep an eye elsewhere. But anyway, in terms of the Premier Division, there were games on Friday. Not a lot of goals, actually just the one by uh, Will Jarvis for Shelburne as they beat Dundalk 1-0. And then, of course, the other game, it seems like Derry City's season is petering out. Uh, they drew nil nil at uh, Drada United. But I suppose just on the, the Shells goal, um, like Will Jarvis, great composure. But um, Jack Moylan's uh, role in it, uh, Keith, like it was pretty incredible. Yeah, and, and Jack is getting uh, he's getting so many flaws throughout the league now, and and rightly so. I think he's a, he's a super little player. Him and uh, him and Sean Boyd were were a brilliant partnership, and obviously Jack now is, is going to be taking the brunt of the goal scoring for Shelbourne, and he seems really really capable. And I, I said at the start of the season, if anybody finishes anybody who finishes north of, of Shelbourne will be there or there about for European football, and. Shelbourne for me it's just gone from strength to strength to strength and it, it, it really excites me now when I hear that they could be really heavily financially back next season it makes you think with Damien Duff with the, with the sort of pull that he would have as a manager even even across the water in England there'll be so many younger players that would fancy coming in the door and playing with him so I'm really really excited to see what they can do next year the way they you know when, when you look at them when you look at Shelbourne on paper to the likes of them dark Pats Gary Rovers they're nowhere near as good as these teams on paper, but they compete with them week in, week out. They beat the teams they're supposed to be. And like I say, they're very, very competitive in the league. And anybody in that bracket of, you know, Pat's dirty, if they get, if anybody finishes north of Shelburne, they'll be in and amongst the European football. So, yeah, look, I, I think doing really, really well. And I, I like the way he plays. I like the, the way he gets about really physical. He's a brilliant finisher as well. But again, I think we need to see a little bit more consistency because I've watched a lot of Shelbourne this season and every now and then a ball can bounce off and the physical battle is getting, getting bogged down and that brilliant footballer, but we just need to see it on a little bit of a, a more consistent basis. 
Yeah, and Shells are fourth at the moment, just ahead of Bohemians, but Bows do play UCD in their game in hand on Thursday, so they could potentially uh, go back above them. But if Shells, or whichever, like obviously Bows can still get into Europe via the Cup if they were to beat Pats, but Shells will hope to finish above Bows in fourth and then hope that Pats win the Cup and then they would themselves get into Europe, which would obviously, in terms of all the backing they're going to get financially as well, that would be a, an extra boost. Derry City, of course, has said um, they're now within four points of Shamrock Rovers, but Shamrock Rovers now have game in hand after those drop points for Derry but uh, uh, David I mean the other side of it from Droddy and I's point of view they were um, also in the news last week because they're close to a takeover from a US sports investment firm called the Travella Group which also owns a, a club in England Walsall so um, it still has to get a, approval from the members at their EGM which will be towards the end of the season but it, again it's another sign of these this kind of multi-sport uh, club model and or multi-club model and and uh, also, I guess, at the same time, Drada have been kind of looking for investment and something Kevin Doherty did point to in terms of his decision yes. to turn down Cork City. Yeah, like, this is the thing, even we say with Drada, and obviously this has been obviously in the works for, for a while in terms of with this deal, and then also just in terms of investment as a whole, it's something that the club have been needing. Obviously, you listen to um, Conor Howie, who has been talking about that before as well, and, and kind of saying, like, they need the money to be coming in. It's the reason why other than UCD, Drotter are the only part-time in the sense of where when they train and obviously the fact that players will have uh, would have other jobs as well around that, that are left in the league, you know, that's because they were just like, they weren't willing, considering Drotter's history as well, which everybody well knows in terms of like what happened to them when they, obviously around the, the success they had in the, in the late night, in the late kind of uh, 2000s. So you would like to, they were very adamant that they weren't going to be kind of stretching themselves and this was the limit that they could go to. And now to try and push themselves forward, they've it seems as if obviously now obviously it has to be voted through. But you would you would imagine that if it's got to this stage, it, it, it's probably a deal that the, the people in, in, in charge of the club are, are happy with and content with. Then also, like you said it there, the whole multi-club model is doesn't doesn't sit right with me in terms of even like of just the nature of it and what it means for just the integrity of of, of sport as a whole and you see at, at different levels it's something that obviously is has caught on and maybe the powers that be in, in world football and European football maybe caught on the hop a little bit by just the nature of how quickly it snowballed but it's something that we've seen already in the in the league of Ireland obviously we obviously said with, with, with shells and the takeover by uh by by Hull City and stuff so it's, it's got, you would like to think it's gonna make draw of the a stronger force, um, whether or not Kevin Doherty will, will will stay on, like he's got his own job. Will they look to say we'll bring in someone different? You would that's gonna be another element of actual upheaval possibly coming coming down the line. And yeah, it's like like that, there's a degree of skepticism that needs to that I think is healthy, but then also you would you can well imagine considering the the progress the draw that I've made over the last little while, even with how things are, you can be sure that there'll be fans also excited because it is a club where you look at their, their attendances and all that are doing things, an awful lot of teams, right? And it, it's going to be incumbent upon the people taking over to continue that good work as well. Yeah, and in the first division, Cove Rambers beat Longford Town 2-0. Wexford won 2-1 at Kerry, so Wexford are safe in the playoffs now. Treaty United beat Finn Harps 2-0 and very much keeping their playoff hopes alive. Athlone are occupying that uh, final playoff place, but they're going to be looking a little bit nervously over their shoulder for the last couple of games. Uh, they lost 1-0 at home to Bray Wanderers, and then Galway and Waterford play each other on Tuesday. But, uh, Keith, I mean, the... 
top end of the playoffs has obviously been um, you know that's that's kind of secure for Waterford it has been for a long time Cove as well now Wexford but that little battle now between um, Athlone and then Treaty and even Bray Wanderers who are still mathematically in it below them um, that's uh, that's going to be a little bit exciting to watch now for the for the run in of the last couple of games Yeah the, the playoff system always gives you that sort of stuff doesn't it there's one or two that can still catch the coattails of the ones that have been up there when you look at the likes of Waterford, it's been excellent all season. Then you've the likes of Treaty and Athlone still hanging on. Could they be caught and nicked it? I think it's excellent. You know, when I, when I played across the water, I, I got promoted. I never actually played in the in the playoff system. I got promoted uh, automatically. But I, I've always looked on at the, the playoff uh, the playoff games and I was always envious, always wanted to be a part of them. And it just brings a little bit of excitement towards the end of the league. And I have to be honest, I, I can't see past Waterford. I know... There'll be a couple of couple of other teams there that'll be thinking, well, we're in with a decent shout in the air, but I think the firepower that Waterford have, and I, th- I think when you look at geographically as well, Galway coming up, if Waterford could come up as well, I think it'd be great for the league. You know, the bigger clubs coming up from outside Dublin it makes it a more, a bit more expansive league, bigger attendances. Yeah, I have to be honest, I, I think it'd be very, very exciting, Raph, but I'm finding it hard to look back Waterford and, uh, and Roland Cotton. Yeah, and uh, before we go, obviously, um, Keith, we have to talk about Arsenal beating City because I know you, <laughs> you've probably been waiting to talk about this now. Um, it wasn't a great game, um, but the boost psychologically that will have for for Arsenal is going to be huge. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it was it was a long time since Arsenal had actually got a win over Manchester City. You know? Like you said, Raph, it wasn't it wasn't a great game of football by any means. The opening couple of minutes of the game, City should be one nil up. Uh, Guardiola has been cleared off the line and then Nathan Ake there's a bit of pinball in the box it pops out to Ake he should do better should score so Arsenal get away with that one and after that it was just all middle of the road stuff there was no real goal line chances Haaland wasn't in it and I thought Saliba was really good up against him Marshall really really well but from an Arsenal point of view I thought Odegaard was quiet I thought Royce was quiet I thought Trossard was poor was taken off at half time but the big thing was Martinelli coming on the pitch. He just looked like he he had the Manchester City game set. When he got injured, it looked like he wanted to be back for this no matter what. And he did come back a little bit early and you're always worried. You know, is, he, is he coming back too early? Is he going to vote himself again and go another two months down the road? But he was excellent when he came on. A huge choice of look for a goal. But look, I was asked this before. It was an awful game. It was a poor game. Arsenal didn't turn up. City didn't turn up. If it's an open, open, expansive game and Arsenal and City go toe-to-toe and the chances at both ends, who do you back to win that game? Or you back Manchester City to win that game? So I think that's the way Arsenal have to beat Manchester City. I don't think they can go toe-to-toe. Or, you know, maybe they can go toe-to-toe and get lucky. But I think if you play this style of football that, you know, there's not a lot of chances to keep the ball for long periods of time. And a little bit like when you play long. You're playing for moments in the game. The set-piece, corners, free kicks, whatever it is, you're playing for those moments. Arsenal were playing in moments. It was just in a different way. So, look, I, I think that's the way to go about uh, go about beating City. You can't get lucky. You can't beat them. But, you know, it, it's the hope that kills you, Raph. And I, I'm listening to Gary Neville and he's saying maybe there could be a treble hangover this year from, from uh, Manchester City. Rodri getting sent off uh, a couple of weeks ago never does stuff like that. And it's Kovacic doesn't look to have hit the ground running. Brilliant player. And I'm even trying to talk myself into it. I still don't think Arsenal will win the league. But I have a lot more hope than I did this time last week. Yeah, believe. D- believe. <laughs> allow yourself. Oh, allow yourself. 
Yeah. Plus, I had this phone on top of me as well. I wear top of the leagues, right? You know, about that. <laughs> and David, I mean, uh, it does prove how important Rodri is to that team. I know that the whole hangover from a treble is a bit oversold, probably. And City yeah. do tend to start seasons a little bit slowly, and then February onwards, they're unstoppable. They just go on these kind of fairly, you know, uh, unstoppable runs. But uh, Rodri is definitely key um, because they do tend, to, they do, do seem to be very vulnerable when he's not there. Well, yeah, he's just like. He's just, I don't know it's how simple. He's just an exceptional, exceptional player who does so much in every aspect for that team. And even for, even for the best teams in games like that, when you're missing a player like that, regardless of if it's Rodri, don't, don't be wrong, Kevin De Bruyne is out as well. Do you know, like they maybe tend to can cope a little bit better without him because of that, the nature of some of the creative players they have. But again, and I'd, I'd actually be I'd be interested to know even what Keith thoughts. But you can even no matter what level, I think sometimes feel that there's certain players who other players, no matter how good they are, when they see a fella alongside them, just feel a bit better. Just feel as if they can get through moments in games or feel, do you know what, everything will be all right. And even top top teams like like Man City, who have just won the treble, someone like Rodri has seems to be in that bracket. Do you know what I mean? Where other players just look to him, and once they see him, it's like. Like, thank God he's there. Like we'll we'll get through this, especially when you have, you see what the whole process of how a, a Guardiola team plays. Rodri is, is just so central to that. But again, you've kind of touched on it as well. Like this is kind of a little bit similar to last year with how they started. He didn't like like it was Arsenal who went off on a on a on a great one, and they were a good few points ahead. I think at one point where I think nine points ahead of City. I think at one stage last season they might have been or definitely the point where people were thinking Jenny or City are well off of here. But then they have that capability of just being able to to go on serious serious runs so like i don't know like, i think it's a bit too early to be talking about a hangover maybe from last year with with city it's just like sometimes getting into their getting into their stride if you look at it it's not as if they're like miles behind like they're still right in the mix there do you know what i mean and it has still been very impressive uh the other the, the final thing keith that i did want to bring up was in terms of refereeing consistency i know var was the the big talking point the other one but as you mentioned kovacic probably should have been sent off for a couple of yellows the the odegaard one are probably an orange and declan rice definitely caught him that should have been a yellow on its own but then there was the newcastle game when they were at West Ham and Bruno Guimaraes looking at the highlights um, he gets booked and then he commits what is a clear second uh, yellow <laughs> challenge and yet uh, the referee sort of waves it away and, and it's just some of these decisions always you know they'll always generate controversy yeah and that's the one thing that I, I know as being a player the one thing you want is consistency you don't really you can't give out as long as the ref is consistent in what he's doing and one minute you know, you, you break the midfield line, Jamarez pulls you back, clicks your heels, it's a yellow card. Nobody has any problem with that. He does it again two minutes later. Everybody's saying it's a yellow card, and it just seemed to me that the referee shied away from it a little bit. Look, you want common sense to be used. You do want the referee to use his common sense. If, it, if it's a nut and tackle, if it's just a little, you know, a coming together and it's a foul, you don't just book him for, for, for the sake of it. But I think Jamarez knows what he's doing with the second yellow. He's looking over his shoulder and he's thinking, this could be a yellow. Why he's doing that is absolutely beyond me. It should have been a second yellow and it should have been a red card. The, the Kovacic one is, is crazy. And I don't think Kovacic makes that tackle last year. When he's playing for Chelsea, I think he's a little bit more comfortable in his own skin and he doesn't have to go and make the second challenge. The first tackle on Odegaard, he sort of jumps into it as well. And The, the one thing that refs always say is you're out of control there. You know, you're using too much force. 
And when you slow it down and you look at the way Odegaard's ankle actually rolls, could have easily been a, an ankle breaker. It was a really, really poor tackle. If it had been a red card, I wouldn't have been too too annoyed about it. I wouldn't have been saying that's a shocking decision. I think a red would have been would have been accepted largely. A yellow is accepted also, but for me, it was right bang in the middle. It was an orange card. And then when Declan Rice has the ball there, Kovacic goes to close him down. And I think he's thinking, if I can win this and press on the front foot, we'll win the ball and we'll score the goal. And the gaffer will think, oh, well done, but he needs to be more clever than that. Declan Rice is waiting, 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 thinking, are you silly enough to go and dangle a leg here? He's actually silly enough to go and make a sliding tackle. How the, re- the referee said it straight away. As soon as the Arsenal players realise Kovacic has just been booked, they start, what about a- another yellow? Michael Oliver's shaking his head straight away, saying not a chance. So that for me, he he had clocked it as well, thinking that's a silly, silly tackle. And again, if Kovacic had a walk down the tunnel straight after that, I don't think there would have been any, any sort of given out. I think it's a definite second yellow card and a definite red foot. As it was, Arsenal end up getting a, a, a lucky, a lucky deflection and a lucky goal. So I think I don't think anybody's still bothered from an Arsenal point of view. Yeah, but anyway, we're straight into an international window now, of course, as we've said. So Ireland v Greece, live on RT2 and the RT player, and also uh, live commentary on RT2 FM's game on this Friday the 13th. And then, of course, it'll be Gibraltar the following Monday, and we'll be reacting to that on next week's podcast after both of those games. But uh, David and Keith, thanks very much for your time. No problem, thank you.